Desperately, and I mean desperately, need you to cut my hair. I can see you from across the table behind your mic, and all I see is hair. Well, you know, you know what's interesting? It's actually impacting my ability to hear through my headphones. Is that why you're talking so softly? You can't hear yourself? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I can get you some hair ties, and we can make two pigtails for you. Oh, great. <laughs> you know what? J just do me a huge favor and cut my hair today. And I'm really glad this is a podcast and we're not on a YouTube video. <laughs> yeah, right. Hi, everyone. And here we are celebrating what people love to do creatively by giving them a voice, I'm Rod Jones. And I'm Angie Jones. Welcome to the Thought Row Show. We invite you to follow us wherever you listen. And just to let you know, our episodes are always absolutely free to yes. listen to. And of course, you can check us out at thoughtrowpodcast.com where you can listen to any or all episodes on our website. Absolutely. And yeah. we would love to hear from you. As we like to say, don't be shy. Yeah. You can always reach us through the website's contact page and let us know your thoughts. Yeah, and that is why our show is called Thought Row Podcast, because we want to hear what you have to say, because we can always learn from one another. We certainly do. I know we would learn a lot. But before we share your quote, yeah. um, who are we featuring on our new segment? I really like this segment. Mm -hmm. And it's called, What Are They Up To Now? Well, this week's feature is Sonia Bubbleitis, and she's an artist that we had a little while back on our show. And since Sonia was a guest on our show, she's been very busy with commissions, enabling her focus on art. And she's had an online exhibition with Flux, which is a great platform hosted by Lisa Gray. And she has exhibited yeah. a painting at East Lodge Gallery at Lemington Spa. And Sonia has exhibited with UK Artists Online, hosted by Grace Newman, and at the Blue Door Gallery in Coventry. And she sold a painting there. Yay. Good for her. And yeah, she, good for her. Yeah. She took part in Warwickshire Open Studios earlier this year and exhibited work at the courthouse in Warwick. Like she's not doing anything, huh? I know. She's just sitting around, right? No, not at all. She's just... Got a lot of things going on. And the coolest thing is Sonia is looking forward to a solo exhibition with UK artists in November. That's coming up really soon. Yeah. And is currently working on new pieces for it. So you, you know what else Sonia. she said, which I thought was really nice. Yeah. She said there is always something to be grateful for. I really liked it when she made that comment. I love and it. I know you and I both really agree with that. So agree with that, Sonia. hundred yeah. percent. When it comes to creativity, today's guest knows where she speaks. And I really mean it. She knows her stuff. But let's start with your quote. How about sharing that with us now? Okay. So our quote for today is quality is not an act. It is a habit. And that is by Aristotle. Oh, I like that one. Yeah. What does that mean to you, though? What do you think about when you hear that? Because it's such a short quote. 
Well, I think I think the thing that is, I guess I want to say practice, 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 because mm-hmm. uh, quality comes from practice. Mm-hmm. And the more you work at something, presumably the better you become at it. I, I think that's certainly been my case. And I think most people would agree with that. So, you know, quality is not an act. It's a habit, meaning, what is that, a habitual habit? And so anyway, you want to stay with whatever it is that you're doing that's creative and stick with it and just practice. And then you will derive a tremendous amount of quality right. in whatever your creative endeavor is. Well, you know, when I when I read this, I thought, wow, that's such a short quote, but it has such an impactful meaning. And for me, I know that sometimes I get frustrated, as Rod can probably tell you, like I want to get do it right out of the gate. I want to do it correctly and just excel at it. But that's not really realistic. Like you cannot do that. So, no. you know, you you focus on your quality, meaning your quality of learning along with the quality of your output, I think. And then that becomes a habit. So I think that's what that's where my takeaway is. On no, that. I like that. I like it yeah. becomes a habit. That that's actually it a very valid point. A habit. Yeah, because if you if you get up every morning at six o'clock and you go into your studio and paint, or you go to your desk and you start writing, or you yeah. go to your piano and you start practicing, or your violin, whatever your creativity is, if you do that every day at a set time, it becomes a habit, and then the habit becomes or improves the quality of what it is that you're doing creatively. Mm-hmm. This, you're right. This is a really short quote, but, but it it's has, packed with mm-hmm. a lot. It has a lot of impactful words, I think, if it gets to the point yeah, very quickly. Yeah, if you quickly. pay attention to it, I mean, it's one of those quotes you have to read a few times, and then probably if you read it again, it'll turn out to be something more. Okay, now it's going to be your turn. My voice is changing today. What's going on? Now it's your turn, Rod. We're ready for Rod's motivational moments. Okay integrity, integrity, integrity. Mm -hmm. If you want to be successful in life, it's important to be incorruptible. I know it kind of sounds a little preachy today, but I really believe in integrity. I guess you do. You've said it three times, but really, (laughs) what does that mean to you? What does the word integrity mean to you? Well, not compromising your beliefs, holding true to your moral fabric, Mm -hmm. not being swayed by other people's opinions that might want to seduce you into thinking or doing things that aren't maybe ethical. It's really important to maintain your integrity and your integrity is clearly connected to your own self-respect. And self-respect is really important because if you lose that, then it becomes a little more difficult to get through your days. What do you think? Well, you know, I agree with 100% what you said, but it also has a different layer for me where it's like, what is your, I don't want to say motivation, but your mission in life or your mission in your soul and your personality and your spirituality? Where where does that take you? Because everyone is very individual and different. So your integrity levels are going to be on different levels, of course. But where is that taking you? Like some people are very work oriented and some people are more emotional or spiritual oriented. So I think that, you know, you you have to go with your own integrity of what 
is your mission in life and yeah. what you're, you're yeah. Yeah. very well said. Yeah. There's so much going on in this world today and things that kind of rob you of your own peace of mind. And maybe that's, it's really important to just maintain that integrity within yourself mm-hmm. to yourself and especially to others, you know, true. True. Very true. Treat others as you would like them to treat you, right? Right on. Speaking of integrity, Mm -hmm. let's bring on our guest. I'm pretty excited for this guest. Okay. Well, today we're going to be- I'm excited for all of our guests. Okay. We're always excited because they're always fabulous. And I love hearing what they had to say. But today we're going to be speaking with Joseph Finn Lundahl. And she's an art historian with over a decade of work in art education, curation, advising, and consulting in the U.S. and Europe. Exciting. Yeah. Josephine, we're so glad to have you as a guest on our show today. Yes. And you know what? I really like your name. It's a cool name. <laughs> yes. We're so looking forward to hearing about your journey into the world of creativity. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to talk to you both. And yeah, I guess I guess my spelling is just very, very Swedish. I've noticed since living in the States. Yeah. Oh, okay. I, but it's, yeah. Really, it's, it's a pretty name. It's, <laughs> it's really so nice. so pretty. Thank you. Well, before we start our interview officially, we always like to ask our guests what they had for breakfast. So what did you have? You know, today it was kind of a special day Mm -hmm. because my usual routine is that I wake up around 6 or 6.30, I have a huge cup of coffee, and then I go for a 10-mile run before I eat breakfast. Oh, wow. Um, Today, however, I skipped the run and I treated myself a carrot cake. So now I'm like running on sugar and coffee. (laughs) So this this might get intense. So we'll see. I hope it will be good. <laughs> but you know what? You had vegetables this morning. So <laughs> I know. I know. Props That's for true. you on that one. Yeah, you had, you, you had vegetables. You. That's good. Yeah, you had vegetables. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think so. It feels good. Yeah. Well, Josephine, you're having an exciting career in the art world. But let's start by you telling us where you're originally from and where you grew up. Sure. Yes. So I'm born and raised in Gothenburg, Sweden, which is on the West Coast, right in between Denmark and Norway. And that's where I grew up. And I pretty much lived there throughout high school. But as a kid, I also spent a lot of time um, in Malaysia and Thailand with my parents Mm. and in Spain. And then as a teenager, I spent a lot of time in New York. But I always lived in Sweden. So that's where was always my home base throughout school. Yeah. When you were, when you moved to some of these other locations when you were younger, was that related to your father's occupation? Yes. Mm -hmm. So my mom and I came with him when he was working and then I moved on to other places after high school, but yeah, it was related to my dad's job. So was that hard for you? I mean, that moving around like that when you're kids sometimes is difficult and other kids really thrive and they like the change. How was that for you? Mm. Oh, I thrived. Okay, good, <laughs> I good. I thought it was so much fun. And I, you know, my mom has told me that every time we would come back to Sweden, I would just like run into kindergarten and be like, hey guys, I'm back. And like, <laughs> very excited. <laughs> but I just loved it. I think I had a very easy time 
um, you know, making friends, even though we didn't speak the same language, we just kind of, uh-huh. you know, you figure it out as a kid. No, I loved it. I thought it was really fun. See, that's really interesting. But I think it might also have been because, you know, it was kind of happening before I started school. Mm-hmm. You know, like it might be more difficult than I'm sure for kids when you start having more of a routine. Yeah, that's true. It might be harder, but yeah. That's true. But, you know, when you were a child, were you interested in... Yeah, I think, well, when I was five or six, I started um, first grade in Montessori school. Mm -hmm. And I think it's part of their, I think it's just part of their system kind of that they encourage a lot of creativity. Mm -hmm. So I, we had a music teacher on staff and I started playing piano at age five. So I would say that music was my first, yeah, it's wonderful. I think that music was my first, you know, real art making for myself. Mm -hmm. Um, But then, and I went on going to music school from sixth grade throughout high school. But then I grew up with my father as an art dealer. So we always had a ton of art at home and artists in the family. And so I I don't think I knew how much I appreciated and loved art until I started thinking about it when I was older. Right. And I think that might also be kind of how that works. You know, if you grow up with art around you, it just becomes an essential part that you don't really, I guess you can't imagine your life without it. Right. It's like your everyday Um, life, what you feel comfortable with. Well, apparently the career you decided to pursue had a lot to do with having your father So entrenched in the art world. That's kind of exciting. You know, you said you lived in other parts of the world as you were a Mm -hmm. child and growing up. And then Mm -hmm. you spent time in New York when you lived in other parts of the world, because I know you've been in several Mm -hmm. countries. Was that always related to a career in art? Were you always pursuing an art career? Not really. I, I moved to to Berlin when I was 20, I believe, 20 or something like that. Mm -hmm. And at, at that point, I was still really, you know, involved in art and, um, or I'm sorry, in music. And so I really moved there because of the music and art scene, for sure. Yeah. But at that point, I didn't know that that was going to also be kind of the beginning of my career. Because when I was there, that's when I started studying art history. So I didn't move to Berlin to become an art historian. It just kind of happened. But I'm definitely, I'm sure that Berlin had something to do with it because it is such an art mecca. In oh, Europe. sure. Oh, I mean, they have great, yeah. uh, great museums there, a great oh, history and art. So yeah. Bauhaus, right? Oh, my gosh. Love it. Yeah. No, no, they have so much, so much, and so much interesting contemporary art, too. They have this great Berlin Biennale every other year. Oh, yeah. And a ton of great galleries. And some, I mean, one big part of why it thrives there so much is because it's always been so cheap. Mm. It's much more expensive now. But I talked to a friend about this just the other day and I was telling them about, you know, my first apartment and I realized it, it was almost 1,700 square feet and I paid, me and my friends paid 500 euros for that a month. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a deal. You know, think, I know, it's incredible. So as an artist, you know, we could all, everyone could afford an apartment and a studio and even a gallery space if you wanted to. So it was definitely the beginning of me stepping into a more contemporary mm-hmm. art world, mm-hmm. I would say. But to answer your question, Rod, I, I, I didn't move there because of the career. I think it happened the other way around, oh. I oh. guess. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. That's really interesting. Yeah. It's a great place to start. Mm. That's oh, gosh, for sure. yeah. It's in fact, that's probably place. one of the better cities in the world to start in. It has more advantages yeah. to it than, say, uh, 
Paris or London. Yeah, or even where I live now. Yeah, well, <laughs> San Francisco. Yeah. I mean, yeah. love love it here, but again, expensive, and it's hard to be as free in that creative setting that Berlin offers. Sure, that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, when we talked to you initially, you mentioned you mm-hmm. are an art historian. Is there mm-hmm. any particular area that you specialize in or pursued as an art historian? Yeah, there is. I have navigated towards the art market mm-hmm. and the art market is obviously kind of vast and a mysterious yeah. world itself. But I think it started, I definitely started in Berlin to, going back to like when I started studying um, art history and one thing that I just love and appreciate about art history is that it's just so much more than just being about art or mm-hmm. history mm-hmm. for that matter. It, it really involves, involves politics and economics and obviously human matters, mm-hmm. you know, such as psychology and sociology. And, you know, in Sweden, art history is, is actually called art science. I think it's, they changed that in the seventies just because, it's not just history because it is all these other disciplines. It's all those other disciplines. Exactly. And I thought that was so interesting. And I learned about that in my first few years in my undergrad. So when it was time for me to work on my bachelor's thesis, my full on interest was to dig into the values that we as humans put on and relate art to. Mm Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. So basically, I mean, what I ended up doing was investigating two different valuation bases, which were aesthetics and authenticity. And I found it so interesting that we often make, that we value and base many of our choices on one or the other. And when it comes to art, I think that we all kind of make an active choice in that, whether we are are aware of it or not. Mm -hmm. And maybe us, like maybe us speaking now and people who listen to this podcast, we might be aware of it because I think it stands in relation to how much experience we have with visual expression or any other art medium. Sure. You know, I, 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 I always like to say that there's a large group of people, especially the ones that are high net worth individuals, mm-hmm. they buy art with their ears and the rest of us buy art with our eyes. And yeah. uh, that's, that seems to be pervasive. In your heart. In, the, in your heart. Yeah, Sometimes we buy you with buy, our heart yeah. more so right. than, than what somebody tells us to do. You know, people in the art that's world. exactly. Yeah. yeah. People in the art world love to talk about art. I know mm-hmm. we do. And I know you do, apparently. We understand mm-hmm. that you are an art advisor, how has mm-hmm. that how has that shaped your career? I think if anything, I again I think it's it's based on my education and my early career path working in galleries that's kind of shaped me into becoming an art advisor. Mm-hmm. And again, that kind of piggybacks or I guess just is also related to my interest in the art market. Because when I was studying then my bachelor and my master thesis, I was kind of looking at these different values, right? And they kind of draw, it drew me into thinking about and analyzing taste. Mm-hmm. What kind of taste do we have? And who are the people who have, who make these decisions of, you know, what we are exposed to in galleries and at the art fairs and all these things. 
So I think that, yeah, the education kind of led me into becoming an art advisor. And I thought about that too, that when you work at a gallery, obviously a lot of what you're supposed to be doing is to sell art. And I think that you can be a um, a salesperson, you know, mm-hmm. you can sell anything. Yeah. But for me, what I love about the art market, and if you want to make it a bit more personal, is that you can become an advisor and it really becomes about selling art on a personal level. Oh, you know, I like sometimes I've gotten yeah. to know, yeah, I've gotten to know the people that I sell to on such a beautiful, deep level, you know, like they see art and they cry and it becomes almost like a therapeutical session. And I love that. I think that's really incredible. Well, that that's probably the number one principle of sales yeah. is to know... Yes. To make people cry. Know your subject. Well, yeah, really. Know your subject, but also (laughs) that's the difference between an art advisor that really knows what they're doing and someone that's just Mm. an order taker. Yeah. You know, where they're just filling out the invoice and saying sold and that's it. Right. Yeah. Oh, you're so, yeah, yeah. No, that's definitely, I mean, and I've definitely, I have experience working in both of those settings i've definitely had bosses who really don't care i mean they care about us making sales but they don't really care where the art ends up and i you know to one point i'm like that's fine if that's how you want to do business that's totally okay mm-hmm. but i've also worked with gallerists who i respect so much who really take their artist's career as their priority number one right and you know really analyzing who is the person buying this piece of art and how is this piece of art going to live on? Because, you know, when a museum purchases a piece, obviously their job is to expose that and have that for everyone mm-hmm. to see. But when you have a private buyer who buys something, it ends up in their home. Right. So, so you know, you have, obviously we have big and famous collectors all around the world who are super generous with loaning their pieces to mm-hmm. shows. Mm-hmm. But that's a big part, I think, of being a really good um, gallerist is to make sure that you have that agreement with a buyer that they are okay with lending it so that it can be exposed to more people than just themselves and their guests. Yeah, and I don't want right. to get into this, but yeah. there's also the secondary yeah. <laughs> market aspect of that. Oh, yeah. And some of these, mm-hmm. and some you know, galleries have an overhead, and you know, every month yeah. they have to pay that overhead, and I think. If things are running lean at the end of the Mm -hmm. month, they probably push art maybe onto people that really weren't prepared to own it or didn't really understand Mm -hmm. what they were actually making a commitment to do and how long that might impact their, the walls of their home. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, Yeah. true. That's a good point. True. I I think you should ask your question, Rod, because I think it kind of goes with what we're talking about. Oh, Oh, the coordinating. Okay. Yeah, yeah, do that one. You have coordinated exhibits for some museum shows Mm -hmm. what was your favorite and what was the most interesting thing that you learned from that show did i read that right you read read it right (laughs) (laughs) yeah you read it did i read it in such a way that (laughs) joseph could understand it yes yeah i understood yes i've been working as an exhibitions coordinator for museums and it's so hard to pick a favorite because I until recently worked at a big museum in the Bay Area and 
you know, you work on so many exhibitions at the same time, but I think that my overall always favorite project to work on is always when you can work with as many teams as possible, basically mm-hmm. saying to make it as complicated as yeah, you possibly sure. can. Right. But what I like about that is I'm just always in such awe of all these teams. And it's so interesting to me to learn how many people you need to put on a show at a museum. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, obviously you have the curatorial team and they have worked on, they might have worked on a show for years before it comes on our plate. And then we might have a year to work on it. So it's always it's something that I find interesting too. A lot of people don't know mm-hmm. how long of a big of a project it might be. But then, you know, we get to work with the install team. And inside of the install team, you have technical and the lighting team and sometimes a video and the sound specialist, exhibitions designers. And that's just on the installation part. You know, then you have once it's supposed to be exposed to an audience, you have to work with a design studio who creates every single little item and you work with marketing, Mm -hmm. membership. You know, there's just so many people. And I'm always, I think it's just incredible to see how this machinery works. Mm -hmm. Um, So to answer your question, the latest show that I worked on that was the most complex show I've ever been part of was Namjoon Paik, this Korean-American video artist. We had a huge uh, show with him and it just ended now, early October. But Mm -hmm. it was was complex because we were given TV, like old TVs from, you know, the 60s and 70s and trying to figure out how to make them run now when you don't have, you don't have the same resources. So, you know, yeah, it's, it's just super interesting to see how do you conserve art that way? Well, plus because, that, you know, wasn't, to... that wasn't a show where you're just hanging some paintings on a wall. No, yeah, I no. suspect that exactly. was very complex. And I also yes. suspect you had to create a, a traffic flow, a pattern, mm-hmm. so people could enjoy what they're seeing and then read and learn about mm-hmm. it. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, some of the some of the pieces had to take over a whole room. Oh, That's quite a feat. Yeah. And again, during, I mean, we're still living in a pandemic and to kind of, to your point too, to have people navigate the way that you want them to and making sure there's not like, you know, a jam anywhere throughout the show. So it's, it's yeah, the pandemic has also really pushed all of our teams to have to think way differently than we were all uh, educated to do. Yeah, I'm sure. But I, so, I also yeah. think some innovations have probably percolated out of that. So I guess oh, the future yeah. will tell. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Exactly. For sure. Mm. Now, I know you've been helping artists when they are first starting out their careers. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I had a great opportunity back in Sweden. This is basically before I moved here. So I moved here about soon five years ago. So let's say it was eight years ago, I got this opportunity to take over or be part of a of, of a space in the city of Gothenburg that I was kind of allowed to do a little bit whatever I wanted. And I thought that, you know, I will never turn down an opportunity to expose art right. and be able to work with artists and give them a space where they can where they can show their art. And at this point I think I was still working on my master thesis. 
full time. I was working part time in a gallery, but that wasn't enough. I thought, okay, I'm gonna do, <laughs> I'm gonna do this also. Right. Um, but it was just so much fun. And basically, what I was able to do was to create like a pop up gallery. Oh, perfect. Yeah, it was it was perfect. We would do four or five days in a row. I think I would do it like bi monthly, and yeah, I would invite artists that I love, all emerging artists. Like no one had gallery representation or anything like that. And even more yeah, perfect. Just, yeah, that's so it was wonderful. great. Yeah, and it was great because I think that we were both both me and the artists. We were able to work on our skills to talk about the art and their art, and you know, meet people in a very non pretentious setting, and then of course sell it. Well, the camaraderie that, that, because you're all basically pulling on the proverbial rope together to all make it happen. That's pretty exciting. Yeah. You know, I want to ask you something. I don't want to get into it too Mm -hmm. deeply because this is a Mm -hmm. topic that could probably go on and on. Uh, But (laughs) we know that we know that our artists and the people that listen to us, creative people in general, would be interested in your thoughts seeing how you have so much experience in this area, Mm -hmm. your thoughts on how the art world really works, you know, like behind the scenes stuff. (laughs) Are you sure you want to know? (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) kidding. Um, I mean, um, I guess it depends a little bit. Do you mean if you're focusing in on like the gallery world or the auction or the, or the market perhaps in Well, general? you know what, because you're conversant in all of those mm-hmm. areas, why don't mm-hmm. you pick the one that you feel you'd like to talk about? Okay. Okay. One thing that comes to mind that I find interesting that I think that a lot of people who are, who are not perhaps involved, maybe don't think about is the one thing that I've seen throughout my time, even in art, that's not, crazy long but the last 15 years is how the first-hand market and the secondary market has changed Mm -hmm. and with that i mean it used to be that galleries would be working with living artists and their art for for quite some time and you wouldn't see that art ever pop up in an auction setting until way later, or even even sometimes not even during the artist's lifetime. Sure. Yeah. But now something that you see more and more is that it almost skips the first step and it jumps straight into an auction house. And one thing that I think it's this is important to me, and I think it's important to living artists too, is I don't really like the overall thought process that people have that when they see a contemporary artist's work being sold for very, very high sum at an auction house, they think that the artist is getting anything of that. And they don't. That's true. That's true. They don't know. And then sometimes people have this argument of like, oh, you know, but then you see that that's the value of their art because this, this piece was sold for this high sum. And that's not true because there isn't, you know, the art market, we don't have, we don't have a market value within art. And that's kind of crazy if you think about it. Art market is really the only unregulated market if you would compare it with, you know, the real estate market or the stock market. Yeah. Art is a little bit like the wild, wild west <laughs> in a way. Mm-hmm. And and for me, I think that that's something that's important that for people to know that the artist actually doesn't get anything. As soon as the art piece is, has left their studio and it's with a gallery, they get what that what that agreement was, and that might be 50%. And then whatever happens after that does not affect the artist 
And yeah, I think that's important to think about. Yeah, and those artists are all all built by opinions of people that, right. in many cases, have never even met the artist. Mm-hmm. They don't they don't oh, know how he thinks definitely. what what caused him to create the works that he does. He or she, it's uh, it's really interesting. But I, I like that. I like your answer. That was really good. And from mm-hmm. our limited experience, you're extremely accurate on that. Yeah, yeah. Oh. it's going to be interesting to see how this all ends up in the years to come because there's some dramatic changes taking place and you probably are on top of that firsthand. So true. Mm -hmm. So true. Well, it is interesting. And I mean, to, to the question that you just asked, I think, again, there are so many, and this is something that a lot of people don't know either. And of course, I mean, why would they? But there are so many several components that contributes to the value inside of the art market. And that really is, in my opinion, it's it's in relations between, you know, there's like a, it's based on, again, sociology and the, our human behavior in relationship to our likings and our preferences. And those group of people who are able to decide this in the society, they have certain habits and interests and, you know, their own values and taste in art. And then we are then exposed to their taste mm-hmm. their opinions yeah and so i think that with all that said though it's important to keep working on creating as many opportunities for artists as we can yeah 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 definitely you know there's so much great and good art out there that's not getting the platform that it deserves no and you know one thing the internet and social media has actually mm-hmm. been very helpful in that area because artists that live in very rural areas of the world, if they can, mm. if they can take a photograph of a piece of art and put it on social media, at least they get some exposure. And then, you know, you yeah. never know, somebody might discover them. And if nothing else, they're getting gratification from people saying, hey, I really like the kind of work that you're doing and they encourage mm-hmm. them. And that's the only encouragement often that they receive. Sometimes they don't even receive it from their own families. They're really getting mm-hmm. most of their feedback yeah, from, from other people from yeah. other people, or what they post on social media. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but it mm-hmm. certainly is a reality. What were we going to say, Angie? Well, you know, I, I know that you consult in the art world, um, Joseph, and both Rod and I are also consultants, not in the art world, but in, in other areas. What does that exactly involve for you when you go to consult? What happens? It depends very very much about who it is that i'm consulting okay i would say that it has to do with the person i think it depends mm-hmm. a little bit again on what it is that they're looking for based on what i just explained to you about those different value systems right i don't mind at all meeting someone who says hey i want to make an investment mm-hmm. okay great then that's the focus and then i can help them consult and advice in that of course as you probably know there's no 100% guarantee answer to anything, but basing, I guess, advice that I would give, I can base that on following an artist's career and and see, you know, what I think is going to happen. But then mm-hmm. what I love, though, is when someone is just saying, hey, I need something for this space. And it can be in their private home, in their office, you know, anything. And then we create that, start creating a relationship. And I get to know this person and not just coming there to measure and see 
what kind of color do you like? But really, right. being, you know, who are you? And what is your relationship to art? Do you have any relationship to it? And then my favorite part, and of course, this is a little bit more pre-pandemic, but I think we're getting there now again, is that then I would invite that person to artist studios or we would go to an art fair together and we'll look at what they're navigating towards. And then, of course, the end goal for me and for them is to have an art piece where they wanted it. Mm-hmm. And and I can consult them. You know, we talk about their budget. We talk about all those different details that we yeah. have to kind of keep to. I, I, what I love about what you just said. Which just happens to be a great answer. It's such a good answer, oh. <laughs> Josephine, because when you said that about how you're actually a relationship builder with the artist and with the art, and it becomes mm-hmm. less of a commodity to buy and more of an emotional and a personal relationship. And that's mm-hmm. really where art should be. Totally. Yeah. Well, my next question is going to definitely fit here. Yes. <laughs> okay. There are literally millions of artists around the world. And of course, mm-hmm. they all want to be recognized. We just mm-hmm. talked about yes. that. Yes. But through your experience, what would you advise them? What What is one thing What's that they advice? could do? Yeah. yeah. What would yeah. be your advice? My advice, I think it would be probably a two-step, but they're, they definitely are related. Learn how to talk about your art. You know, it is so incredibly important that you as an artist can tell not just me, but anyone, even yourself, what your art is about. Mm -hmm. Because even though I am definitely the type of art person who loves being able to look at something and just feel and, you know, notice what am I thinking? What is this making me think about or anything? Everyone's not like that. Actually, most people are not like that. And if you as an artist is not able to explain or sell the idea of your art, it's going to be very hard for someone else to do it. And I, because I fully stand by that, in my opinion, the artist's work job is to make art. Your job shouldn't have to be to sell it, but you have to be able to explain it, you know, to have a statement or each time that you create a new, you know, collection of art, mm-hmm. why, what, what were you inspired by and such? So I think that, you know, if, if that's something that artists feel very insecure about, then they should contact someone who works with like what I do, like consulting artists mm-hmm. as well, because I don't only consult buyers. I consult artists too. I meet them in their studio and we discuss exactly these type of things. Or if you if you don't want to go that way, then you know, read like find your favorite artists, read their statements, and get inspired by use your own words, obviously. And I really I can't stretch that enough. I think that's definitely number one. And then if you've done that already then make yourself visible as much as you can. You know, I think that's applicable not only to artists, but just about anybody that's in creativity creativity or or even their own business. So many people can articulate. They know they love to do something. But if you ask them, well, tell me why you love to do this. And they often they just don't know what to yeah, say. Yeah. The, I know. During the headlights, it's it's kind of hard. Yeah. 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 And I think it's kind of there's also something really sweet about not knowing how to answer it because I think that like what we talked about earlier, like when you grew up with art or you are an artist, if you ask an artist, you know, why they why they do what they do, and their answer is 
you know, I just don't know anything else. I think that that's so beautiful because you, you, you just, you're, you are what you are. Yeah. You're an artist. So true. And it's hard to sometimes explain, well, why? That's just who I am. But if you think about your art as, I mean, if you're your own company, right? And you're selling a product, you just still have to be able to explain the product. So true. And I think that, again, that's super important. But again, then to make yourself visible, I think that you mentioned before, Rod, that Instagram is great. And a lot of people are, are being very successful there. But another way, a way that how I've met a lot of the artists I've worked in with are at art fairs and not the art fairs that, you know, where really um, successful galleries go and expose themselves, but where artists can go. And sometimes you might have to pay a sum. But the good thing about those art fairs is that you meet so many people. And mm -hmm. there are a lot of gallerists and collectors who goes to those art fairs. So I think that that's super important. To that's just do great as advice. Much as you can. Really good. That's excellent yeah. advice. You know, I, I really liked yeah. what you said, and I have to point this out because it really resonated with me, is when you mm -hmm. said an artist, sometimes they can't express why they got into doing art. They just do it because mm -hmm. they enjoy it. But really, isn't that kind of like being in love? Sometimes you love a person yeah. and mm -hmm. you don't really know why, but you just love them. And it's like the yeah. same thing, really. Are you looking at me when yeah. you say I'm that? I'm looking at you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I hope so. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> uh, no, that's so true. And I mean, it's just, yeah, it's human. It's emotion-based. That's just what we do. Yeah. And it's wonderful. Yeah, so How lucky are we to get to do this? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. You know, I'm, I'm curious. Have you mm -hmm. collected any art for your own personal collection? And do you have a favorite that you have? And what, what is it like? Yeah. Oh, I have, <laughs> I have so much art. And it's not even... I have so much, unfortunately, that's not even framed and up on the walls and I'm officially not allowed to buy any more art, but I don't really always listen to that, <laughs> to that myself. It's yeah. one of those things to just to your point about love. If I see something and I'm just feeling, you know, okay, I can't live without this, then I will probably get it. But to the point I, I have a lot of art and I think that now when I'm sitting here looking around, I, some of my absolute favorite pieces are from some of my former students mm -hmm. at this art school I used to work at in Sweden. And I love going to art school's graduation exhibits. I think that's also such a great opportunity to, you know, you get to meet the artists, the young artists early on in their career. And purchasing something from them can give them, you know, the most important confidence boost. And usually it's very inexpensive and yeah, that's a great way also to start a collection if people are interested in doing that. But those are some of my favorite pieces. But then if I have to choose one, I have... This is actually an artist I met just that way that I just ex described through an art fair. Uh -huh. It's a Spanish artist. She's from Madrid. Her name is Patricia Rubio, and she lives in San Francisco now. And I have three or four of her pieces, and I just love her art. It's it's all abstract very geometrical, vibrant colors, and it's extremely thought-provoking for me. Well, I hope people, I I like, hope you mentioned her name, so I hope people <laughs> yeah. oh. uh, check her out. That's good. Yeah, that's, that's, yeah, that's nice. You, good. you know, yeah. I, I want to get back to the mm -hmm. part of your career where you advise people. And mm -hmm. I'm really curious about the types of people you advise. 
who are they? What are they? What are they like? Are they all over the board? Are these <laughs> art collectors or are they just people that want to decorate mm-hmm. their homes? Mm-hmm. I would say they are all of those things. I've definitely had, I mean, I've had everything, everything. I have had, had everyone from, um, let's see. Yeah, one of my most interesting ones probably, I think she purchased her first piece of art with me. Mm-hmm. And that was very special. And we have, she just randomly walked into the gallery I worked at and she had, you know, saved up money for something for herself. And she, I don't think that she had really thought about, oh, I'm going to buy a piece of art, but it just happened that way. And she saw this piece and she saw so much from of her family history in it. And it was just, it was in- incredible, like a, almost like a spiritual experience for her and for me. And since then, she only buys art with me. So we've become very good friends. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, so I have some of those relationships, but then I also have a little bit more, you know, corporate business based where I come to someone's office and or their home. And it's more, it feels more like a business based relationship, I guess, which is completely fine with me. Yeah. But yeah, every, honestly, everything from, yeah, between there. And it doesn't have to be that you have to have a lot of money either. You know, it's not, you can find inexpensive art. One of the things about art and Mm -hmm. collecting art is there is a price point for just about everyone. Any kind of art yeah, that you, you would like. You don't need to yeah. be a multimillionaire and no. uh, you can buy a piece of art that will live on and actually can be handed down to other family members. So it's it's yeah. it's a worthwhile investment, I think. Oh, for sure. I love Angie's next question. So. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. Being a woman artist myself, I really haven't run into any equality issues. Has that been the case for you? in your career? I'm curious. I have definitely run into that issue. Okay. I would think think, we'd be past that by now, but interesting. You know, I think I got to say that it's been, it's better the last few years. I Mm -hmm. think, I think something has happened in the last few years pretty drastically. So I believe that most of my experiences would probably have been earlier on. And maybe it's also a little bit about you know, my age in my early 20s, I remember specifically being called or referred to as an intern at my job, not okay. by my bosses, but by people who came into the gallery. They just assumed that I didn't know anything. And I just, I always wondered because I could see that it didn't happen with my male colleagues who were my same age. But then, of course, unfortunately, still, you know, there's the salary difference at big institutions too. Mm-hmm. between genders so that that's definitely still going on which is really sad to hear but that's probably but not not worse than that I mean not that that's good but it hasn't been it's not something I think about often mm-hmm. which I'm happy about and I'm really glad to hear that you haven't felt that that's really I haven't nice. felt it maybe because <laughs> yeah. I refuse to yeah. I'm just like no and uh, we're not going to be doing that's that not gonna happen. no yeah, not going to happen well, I think, yeah. <laughs> I think what happens with Josephine and you, Angie, mm, yes. is you know what the heck you're talking about. Yeah. So if people yeah, actually, if they want to listen to what you have to say, all of a mm. sudden they're going to realize, wait a minute, I'm talking to very competent people. I think mm. the people that kind of get dismissed mm. are 
trying too hard or they're not being very articulate in what they're sharing. Mm-hmm. Joseph is obviously mm-hmm. knows what he's doing. So Absolutely. your age isn't necessarily going to be an issue once you start right. blabbing, mm-hmm. if you will, yeah. once you start doing the talking the talk people that yeah. that are educated or, or can think uh, for themselves, they're going to say, wow, this person really knows her stuff. Yeah. Yeah, and, that, you know and that's a think, congratulations I, to you on that. Yeah. That's not, uh, that's pretty special talent <laughs> you. you have. But I think, and I like that. I think that, again, that, that also comes with age, right? They comes a little bit with confidence. And one thing that I actually, when I think that, that I definitely had a confidence shift at some point. Right. And I think that what happened then really was that I let go of the stigma that I had in my mind that everything I have to say has to be perfect. I cannot mess up a year of an artist, you know, they were born here and there or, you know, like that everything had to be according to the book. Mm-hmm. And then I noticed like, no, art is not about that. Art is about what is my feeling? What do I feel when I look at this piece of art? So like when I can walk mm-hmm. around, you know, if I've been given tours at a museum and I come up to an art piece and I go, oh no, I can't remember exactly, you know, what it says in the, in the books about this. I just, I just go with my feeling and I go with my instinct and I'm like, you know what? I think I know what I'm talking about. And then we can just start having a conversation about it. Or I ask people in the audience, what do you think about it? What do you see? And then, yeah. And I think that that, that's kind of where some of that confidence comes from. Well, to, to teach also, you learn more from teaching than maybe your students. So that works out pretty well. We have two. Yeah questions mine mm-hmm. and then Angie's mm-hmm. I like Angie's better she has the better question but, uh, but, I'll, <laughs> but anyway, Why, do you want to trade I'll, we no, can trade no I'll ask I'll ask this one okay. I'll do my best on this one okay. okay so in five words or less what would you tell people that want to live or be more creative mm. and if you have can to I use more six? than five words it's, yeah it's okay. can I use six words of okay. course yes. six words okay Everything can be turned into art. Oh, good answer. And I really and I really believe in that. Oh, nice. I think it's it really is just a matter of how you see the world around you. I believe that we're all born super creative. And unfortunately, the society often teaches us that if you can't make money off of it, it's just not worth pursuing. Mm-hmm. And for me, that's a whole lot of nothing. And <laughs> I think that if you find that source within you again, you know, you should just do something that that you can't make money off of. And just, I think that that's kind of where your creativity can bloom. And then maybe you can make money off of it at some point. But I think that just thinking that everything can be turned into art. That's, that's a really good answer. And you know, the other part of what you just said, there have been famous authors, artists, composers that had day Mm -hmm. jobs. Uh, one in mm-hmm. particular, Eric Hoffer, won a Nobel Prize for his book. He was a longshoreman. Mm-hmm. So by a stevedore, oh. by day, he was loading and unloading ships and he was writing <laughs> his great American novel and which became a super success. So just having yeah. that element of creativity in your life is, I, for my opinion, is just really important. And no matter yeah. um, what you're doing, a little bit of creativity, even if it's uh, baking a cake, yeah. you know, you could do that with a lot of finesse and creativity and passion behind it and you'll be very proud of what you do okay 
Okay, now it's my question, huh? Okay. Okay. <laughs> all right. So now we're going to ask you the question that we ask all of our guests. I love all of their answers because it's very individual. If you could sit on a park bench and chat with anyone from the past, who would it be? That is such a hard question. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would have to say Susan Sontag. Really? She is, yeah, I adore her. I've been... I, yeah, I don't know. I think that her writing, again, like it's just involving so many different disciplines. And I think that that's been a big inspiration for me ever since my teens. And she's just, I don't know, she could turn any kind of discipline into poetry in my mind. And super interesting woman. So yeah, I would love to talk to her. What an interesting answer. Wow. (laughs) Plus, so the, plus your answer is heartfelt. I Very mean, you much really, so. you really pick yeah. somebody that you obviously <laughs> related to. I love it. Yeah. Well, we're at the part yeah. of the interview that we don't like, the, and no. that's when we have to say <laughs> we have to wind you know, it up. Uh, yeah. You've been, yeah. you know, you have a brilliant career, and you've been absolutely wonderful on our yes. podcast. We thank you so much for chatting with us today. I think our listeners are going to love this. Yeah, I think love our it. listeners are really going to love it. And they're going to have an understanding of the multifaceted things you do in regards to the art world. Yeah, and a lot of inside stuff. Absolutely. And also, I just want to let everyone know, if you want to know more about Josephine, we will have links for her under the show guest tab on thoughtrowpodcast.com. So everyone can learn more about her and connect with her on Instagram and on LinkedIn. Yes. Well, thank you both so much. This has been such a nice, lovely conversation. I could do this every week. Aww. This would be fun. I'm yeah. so glad you feel comfortable. <laughs> yeah. Yay. Well, we'll yeah. def- we, you will be on our show again for sure. Definitely. Um, Great. And we're really excited to have you today and, and your candidness you. you know yes, your openness thank you. to thank you for being so genuine yeah genuine that is the word yeah well, okay thank well you. goodbye for now i guess bye Josephine. yeah bye take care i'm really glad you tuned in today we hope you enjoyed the thoughts and ideas we shared with you we post a new podcast every week so remember to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss an episode so it's bye for now from my husband rod and i wishing everyone a great day 